Hello, everyone. I'm Fernando Espina. I'm uh, with the Aramit Committee. Um, and I want to read a, a quote from Martin Luther King. And I want to tell you a little bit about, um, about where it's coming from. Uh, it came from a speech that Dr. King did here in Kalamazoo at Western Michigan University in 1963. Um, and that's important to me because it ties the civil rights movement back to Kalamazoo, back to our community. And um, the speech was about the word that psychologists often use of being maladjusted in where we're taught and we're told, we don't want to be maladjusted to things. We, we want to be well-adjusted to things. And Dr. King, he was responding to that idea. And he says, there are certain things in our nation and in the world which I am proud to be maladjusted and which I hope all men of goodwill will be maladjusted until the good societies realize. I say very honestly that I never intended to become adjusted to segregation and discrimination. I never intend to become adjusted to religious bigotry. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from many to give luxuries to the few. I never intend to adjust myself to the madness of military, militarism, to self-defeating effects of physical violence. So Dr. King was calling on people to look around themselves and intentionally become maladjusted to the injustice, to the systemic injustice that existed around then and today. There continues to be systemic injustice. And in order for us to be motivated to do anything, we need to find ways to make ourselves maladjusted to the things that are happening today. And with that being said, I would like to introduce Jim Croto and Joanne Mundy, um, who, are, who will be giving our sermon today. Um, Jim Croto is a professor uh, in the Department of uh, Counselor Education and Counseling Psychology at Western Michigan University. Western Michigan University, he uh, specializes in lesbian, gay, and bisexual issues and issues of race and racism among white Americans. Um, and uh, Joanne Mundy is the executive director of ERACE, Eliminating Racism and Claiming Celebrating Equality. And she's also a pastor of On Common Ground uh, in Three Rivers. So, um, Joanne and Jim. Good morning. We're going to have some alignment building here today. Fernando, I need a six minute warning. Six minutes. Please set a timer. Six minutes. Thank you. I'm going to go over six minutes. I'll just tell you now, but I need a warning in advance. Um, uh, I, I, in my church, we don't, we don't do normative, we're maladjusted, which means that I do talk-back sermons. I am anticipating that you will answer my questions. Thank you. <laughs> Great. You also have been given a poem. 
in your bulletin. I'm going to ask for something now. I will need two people who are willing to read it out loud. Stand up in the room and read it out loud when I ask you to. One, two, thank you. Great, sorry those hands first, sorry. But you'll have plenty of time. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to read it the first time. I'm going to ask a series of questions to uh, maladjust us, to align us. I'm going to ask somebody to read it a second time. You'll be the second reader. And then we'll ask a series of questions. Um, Please be responsive to them. Um, Yeah. And then we'll read it a third time. And then Jim's going to come. And he gets to spend some time with you. And then uh, when Jim is done, I'll come back. I, I, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't be. You see me. You see thug. You see sin. I see the letters of hate alive in your heart. Can't I breathe? Can't I breathe? Can't I be enslaved? Emmett Till Eric. Tombstone same, just new names. I, I, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't be. I too am a human being, yet you can't let me be. These empty deaths live on top of his dream. (laughs) In a coal pit world, we as diamonds must rise. What words or phrases stand out to you? I can't breathe. I can't be. What words or phrases stand out to you? You see thug. You see sin, enslaved. Cold world. Emmett till Eric. What feelings does it stir up in you? Anger, frustration, oppression, shame, panic, fear. I heard something. Injustice. Injustice. What's annoying? What's inspiring? He's still hoping. He's still hoping. He's still hoping. He spoke. Must rise. Makes me think of of, uh, Angela Maya, right? Maya Angelou, right? And still... I rise. What feelings? What is annoying? What is inspiring? His dream. dream. Empty doubts. Empty doubts. Okay. Now stop. Number two reader, please. Uh, Everybody but the reader. Put them down if you can. Close your eyes. This now is the time for you internal processors who go slow. Just listen. Nice and loud, please, can you? Or actually, where's that microphone? Thank you, Jim. Ooh, get away from there. Sorry, Reed. I, 
I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't be. You see me, you see thug, you see sin. I see the letters of hate alive in your heart. Can't I breathe? Can't I breathe? Can't I be? Enslaved, Emmett till Eric. Tombstone, same, just new names. I, I, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't be. I too am a human being, yet you can't let me be. These empty deaths live on top of his dream. <sighs> In a cold pit world, we as diamonds must rise. What's the importance of this poem? Not done. We're not done. I'm not done. What's the importance of this poem? The metaphor of the diamond. The metaphor of the diamond. Under great pressure and over a long period of time, we all become beautiful. Coal, black, under gray pressure over a sustained period of time turn into the most precious of jewels, the hardest surfaces. What is the vantage point? What new vantage point do you get from its reading? Thank you. What new vantage point do you get from its reading? We can rise. We can do it. What new vantage point? Although we're downtrodden, we can't break our spirits. What does it mean for your future? What have you learned in these six minutes? Love. Say it loud. Say it proud. Love. Our work is not finished. Tolerance. Empathy. Acceptance. We, ooh, you want to preach this message? We must stand as one. Would you read it for a last time and we'll go right to Jim when she's done. I, I, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't be. You see me. You see thug. You see sin. I see the letters of hate alive in your heart. Can't I breathe? Can't I breathe? Can't I be enslaved? Emmett till Eric, tombstone the same, just new names. I, 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 I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't be. 
I too am a human being, yet you can't let me be. These empty deaths live on top of his dream. <laughs> In a cold pit world, we as diamonds must rise. Thank you. Yeah, that's on. Hello, everybody. Um, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Uh, my job is to talk briefly with you about what white folks go through as we deal with racism in the world. Um, and I want to focus on um, one particular place that white folks are when we deal with racism, because that's the place that I am in a lot of the time that all of you are probably who are white are probably in most of the time too and so I want to focus there. Um, so I'm, I'm really talking directly to the white folks who are here but I hope that the people of color who are here too may come to some increased understanding of the, the white folks around you as we try to deal with racism in the world. So this place I keep talking about is a place where white folks realize that racism is real, that black and brown lives are indeed denigrated. We may not know everything about that. That may still be a work in progress, but you don't need someone to stand in front of you and convince you that racism is real. You also know that white privilege is real. Um, and certainly, probably for all of us who are white, um, the understanding of that is still unfolding. But again, you don't need a speaker to convince you that white privilege is real. So this place, I have a word for it. I, I call it um, the place of well-intentioned white people. Um, and so um, when we're in that place, when I'm in that place, um, it's a difficult place for well-intentioned white people. Think about it a minute. We're realizing that we're put in positions of superiority and that we've lived out of that position of superiority. And we know that it's on the backs of people of color who are robbed of the most basic of human regard oftentimes. And that's a difficult realization, a difficult place to be. And so we end up struggling and we end up being ineffective a lot of the time. Um, as I speak today, I'm speaking personally. I'm speaking, I'm a psychologist and I do work in this area, so you'll hear the psychologist voice there. Um, you hear, um, I do organizing with a race, you'll probably hear that voice. Um, but I want to start with a different voice that's a little more scary for me to do because it's newer. But I want to read you a poem um, that I've written to get, to get into this a little more. It's called, I Browse in Stores Unfollowed. I browse in stores unfollowed, am never called a hulk, though 250 pounds. I'm considered smart till proven dumb. I'm on the upside of the gap in wealth that was first fed by de jure segregation and now fed by its de facto twin. I know the data on disparities and feel shame to love my racist Aunt Amelia. Mia culpa, mia culpa, forgive me, Tanya, Joe, Denise, Carlos, Leticia, black and brown friends, please be my priest. 
I am heartily sorry for being white. Bestow your absolution. But as for penance, I'll make that up myself. I'll Facebook Black Lives Matter, count each post as one Hail Mary, telling off a white friend who said Hispanic, not Latina, counts as one Our Father. When I've said four Our Fathers and ten Hail Marys, it's a pass for me, a pass that's hopeless for scoring change. I see only venial sins, miss the mortal. I picture racism is what a few bad whites do, fail to see the systemic. Black men get shot and killed while I'm busy planting showy flowers in the colors of equality, enchanting mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. It's easy for well-intentioned white folks to get hooked into trying to make racism not about us, trying not to take it in personally. It's hard to take the discomfort and the guilt that comes with realization. And it's really a tragedy, I think, about how much energy, how much of our breath is taken in this unproductive way that could be used to productively address racism in the world. It's almost like we're focused on absolution instead of solutions. You know, we want approval and reassurance, oftentimes in overt ways and often even more often in subtle ways from people of color, sometimes adding to their burdens. Um, we, um, We try to move away from it sometimes, I think, by spending a lot of time thinking about how to confront other individual white people, or at least being really angry with other white people who are doing um, more overtly racist things. And, and it's not, it's, not, it's like, yeah, we have to confront people, but oftentimes we're, we're in this place where we're trying to establish our credentials as good white people. We're trying to get an out. We're trying to move away by labeling other white people as the bad white people. Um, we also want to pass oftentimes by doing a lot of talking the talk and not very much walking the walk. We plant the pretty flowers of equality rather than doing substantive things that have a chance to address racism. So what's the alternative for us? What's the alternative for well-intentioned white people? Well, it's a long journey, I think, um, but I'll suggest two broad directions. The first is that, uh, and several people have already alluded to it, we need to um, switch our cognitive understanding of racism. There's some pretty good evidence that white people, as a trend, tend to see racism as individual acts of discrimination against people of color, essentially what a few bad white people do. So when we're asked for an example of racism, we'll often tell a story about our uncle telling a racist joke, and we'll say that's racism. And what we're missing is the systemic nature of racism, how it's about, and it's oftentimes covered up in these days so that it's not uh, overtly, um, it's disguised. It's about race, but it's disguised. But it's really about the institutional structures and practices and cultural approaches that advantage white people and disenfranchise people of color. Um, 
you know, if we only approach racism from an individ- changing individual's perspective, um, we're never going to get anywhere. It's going to continue to be locked into place. So we have to interrogate the policies and practices, the ways we do education, the way we do health care, the way we do policing, the way we do courts, the way we do church. That's the only way that racism will ever begin to be dismantled. The second direction I want to mention is more internal or emotional, emotional um, maybe even spiritual. It's a sense instead of moving away from the discomfort that we feel when we see our position of superiority, those of us who are white, instead of moving away from the guilt and the negative feelings, we need to move into those feelings rather than trying to escape them or be seen as outside of them. Um, once white, well-intentioned white folks, once I stay with those feelings, I read, I think, I reflect, I expose myself to information, I go to events, I get engaged, I talk to other well-intentioned white people, I take it on emotionally, and I persevere with that, that's when some personal transformation begins to happen. It's when you show up over and over and over again. Then we begin to feel that the negative experiences, that emotional gap that I can feel between myself and people of color that I care about in my life, all the guilt, all the struggle, we start to see our own stake in that. That racism has set us up too. And it's from that place that we can find the motivation and the strength to examine ourselves, our own implicit biases, and we can't help but have tons of those, or what we call in in a race, we call it internalized racial superiority. It takes a lot of courage to dig that out in ourselves. Um, It's when we can feel racism in an immediate way in our lives that we can find ways to go out of our way to get involved And you do have to go out of your way to get involved. It's part of what white privilege sets up for us. And we can find the motivation to do that. And it's then, it's it's when we have a sense that this is about our own souls, so to speak. um, That then the look good and feel good strategies don't look so good to us. And we can begin to let go of that nagging guilt that's there. And we can begin to see more clearly what needs to be done. A metaphor out of a race and crossroads training, and it's in a book that Joseph Brandt wrote about dismantling racism, is that racism also imprisons white people. Our prisons might be air-conditioned in the summer and heated in the winter and have nice furniture and be really comfortable, but they're still prisons. White superiority robs white folks, robs me, robs all of us who are white of our humanity. And when we start to feel that and connect to to that, we can feel some sense of freedom from the way racism confines us, from the way racism restricts our breath, and we can find some wisdom so that we can learn how to be effective and creating anti-racist change in the world. Thank you. Twenty fourteen was probably one of the hardest years of my life. 
I need another six minutes. Thank you. Um, it was, uh, I think, uh, help me, the 3rd of January of 2014 that I heard for the first time that my mother had metastasized cancer. Uh, and the doctor who was telling me this uh, could not tell me how long she was going to live. With tears in his eyes, I am begging him to give me. What do you mean? How long? I, I can't say. No, don't, 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 don't get, tell me. I, I, I can't say. And for the next four months, I watched my mother become something she never had been before. Sometime this summer, I can't remember the date, but sometime early this summer, I was away, I was training, I was working for a race, working for Crossroads, because I was in denial about what I might be feeling and thinking, because I had just lived through watching my mother die. Um, I, I've, I've gained 45 pounds. Um, I was at work, and when I came back, I learned that a friend of mine's son had been shot on the north side, trying to break up a fight. And she was asking uh, to tell her story to Erase because she wanted Erase to be able to tell her, her story. She didn't want to be alone in that. And she knew that that story needed to get out because she wasn't treated very well by the police. And she wasn't treated very well by, um, by the hospital staff. And I already had my own experience with the hospital staff. Um, and so I just carried that through. We, you know, when I get torqued, I, I organize, agitate other people. So um, I, I needed to agitate. Um, four days before Michael Brown was shot in Ferguson, I was uh, in St. Louis working for Crossroads, agitating a bunch of teachers, loving them. Agitation is an act of love. Loving these teachers in the best way I knew how. And they knew in Ferguson in St. Louis, they knew something was going to go down. They knew that it was a powder keg in their community waiting to go off. I did not know I would get home on Wednesday and on Saturday, Michael Brown would be shot dead and left in the street for four hours like he was a deer killed on 994. And I'm not justifying leaving deer on 994, please. Um, and then on Labor Day, I was at some friend's house, and some young people started to have a fight outside, and I, uh, a bunch of us, not just me, I saw them fighting out the window, I go out, and I put my foot, step off of the, the porch, and onto the ground, and I hear shots fired. Now, I'm a former police officer. I know what shots fired sound like. 
But I was not thinking. Took me a second to cover behind a tree. Then I listened. No more shots. I'm looking. I go running up where I see people. And um, as I'm running up there, this young man is approaching. He's got a sidearm. He's got a weapon in his hand. He pulls it out and points it at the head of the young person on the street. And I lost my mind. I am screaming on the street corner in the middle. There is no place for me to go now. I am screaming, no, no, no. I'm thinking about the little white boy who lives down the street that I know. He's a curious little white boy. I love this child to death. I'm thinking, wow. He has come to the front of his house because there's all this stuff going on in his neighborhood. I can't have, I cannot have Ferguson in the Edison neighborhood in Kalamazoo. I cannot have it. I will not have it. I will do everything in my power to keep that from happening. My kid doesn't shoot. He goes... Something policey kicks in in me and I start thinking about what he's wearing, how tall he is, what he looks like. Does he have any markers? I am going down the street to make sure the little white boy that I love with all my heart is not looking out his bedroom window. Then I see people popping off. I know the cops are on their way. I want an intervention and I uh, am afraid, finally, And I turn around and I realize that my young friend is standing right next to me. He never moves for more than five foot from me. He will not let anyone harm me. The only way I can survive any of those events is that I know I am not alone. When my mother is dying, I am not alone. I have a community that hangs around me and loves me to death. I am not alone. When my mother dies, what's the name of that place, that hospice? Rose Arbor. A young white woman is with me. When I am burying her in two different ceremonies, one here in Kalamazoo and one back in her hometown, Vineland, New Jersey, she... There are young people who go with me. I am not alone. When I do anti-racism work, I am not alone. When I get invited to come and speak in a church, I am not alone. I don't go by myself. And I don't only take people of color with me. I take white people. Because I need white people. Anti, well, get that right. Sexism was not solved until there were men involved. Heterosexism, homophobia, was not addressed until there were straight people. 
I mean, you know, LGBTQ people had been saying some things, but we couldn't get any traction until straight people said, well, this is our issue too. Racism will gain a whole lot more traction when white people understand their self-interest in the gig. Because I cannot do anything by myself. We are stronger together. In my church, uh, we, we have a, a song. You guys call a song you do an anthem? In my church, uh, you, know, you know, your anthem. That's your, that's your song. In my church, we have a song. And I've, uh, I've invited a couple people to come and sing it with me. Are both of you coming or just one? Um, this is Amanda and Toby Wilson. Uh, they're my board president or something like that, you call them around here, I don't know. She's the boss lady at the church. I'm just the pastor. She's Miss w- Mrs. Wilson, the boss. We sing this song in Spanish and in English every week because we are aware that if our analysis is true, then uh, racism between and among people of color will not be solved until we can do some stuff together. What do you want me to do? Oh, yeah, I won't forget. I promise I won't forget. Here's the mic. You can sing at that one. This one's already short for me. Oh, I have one on, don't I? Great. Okay, I I have one. Um, So now is the time uh, that we're going to receive an offering for the work of uh, People's Church. And as we do that, uh, On Common Ground will... You got this? On Common Ground will serenade you. In Espanol first. I thought you guys had the words for this, but maybe you don't. Te necesito, me necesitas, todos somos parte de un cuerpo, están conmigo, están de acuerdo conmigo, todos somos parte de un cuerpo, es nuestra voluntad, todos las necesitas desde su ministre que son importantes para mí te necesito para sobrevivir que son importantes para mí te necesito para sobrevivir I need you you need me. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of one body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of one body. It is our will that every 
going to make it alone. We are stronger together. The dream is still alive. Make it your dream too.